0: Good morning, this is week two (laughs) And I am delighted to be up here with you again Uh, This morning at about uh, 7.30 I got a phone call From our pastor And said, uh, as I could barely make out his voice You gotta preach for me today And I go, yeah, 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 sure And I, uh, I got up and I thought what am I going to preach? So I thought back. Uh, this week I was speaking with uh, Pastor Matt. He asked me about some of my time in uh, Haiti. And I told yeah, I recently was there and I preached a sermon on uh, on Second Kings. And uh, I entitled it uh, Empty Hearts, Empty Hands. I said this amazing thing happened when I was... Uh, nearing the end of the sermon, we talked about having uh, empty hands and how God uh, fills those who are empty, not full of themselves, but empty, even empty hands. And so as I was preaching at the end, I hadn't scripted this, but I just thought, you know, I told the people, I see that most of you, when you uh, worship, you have your hands up to the Lord. And I said, that's a wonderful way to to demonstrate the exaltation of Christ. But I said, when we talk about having empty hands, really when we raise our hands to praise him, it's really we need to say, come, come Lord Jesus, fill my emptiness, fill my empty hands and my empty heart. I thought that sounded like a good way to bring together my thoughts. But I was telling Uh, mad about that I said but what happened as soon as I was through preaching the people came up front and began to crank up the uh, band and I really mean crank it up Uh, they began to stand and they were doing this (laughs) and um, I was thinking what if I started here that went on for a half hour And I I told Matt, I said, you know, wouldn't that be interesting to do when Pastor Kevin was not here and I could do that, you know. (laughs) So this morning, oh, no. (laughs) He would be here quickly if he knew that I was doing that. So, no, I would like to talk with you this morning about um, empty hearts and empty hands. And I'd like for us to look at 2 Kings. 2 Kings comes after 1 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 4 verse 1. But before we go there, I want to give some preliminary thoughts to our text. The Bible talks about things in terms of twos. The thing I would like to talk to you this morning is about The two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of this world, and there is the kingdom of heaven. And one kingdom is known for its darkness, its death, and its destruction. The other is known for its light, its life, and its love. One kingdom is ruled by Satan, sin, and darkness. The other kingdom is ruled by God through his sovereign grace and his eternal glory. One kingdom includes all humanity, the sons and daughters of Adam. And the other kingdom includes all the elect, the sons and daughters of God. Both kingdoms, however, are entered into by birth. One by the will of men and one by the will of God. That's what John's gospel says. Um, One kingdom promises satisfaction. Satisfaction to those who reach out to grab and cling to all the riches they can gain now in this world. And the other kingdom? The other kingdom promises satisfaction as well but to those who with faith reach up to God with empty hands to receive the riches of heaven. One kingdom promises that the more a person can hold in their hands, the more satisfied they will be. The other kingdom promises that little, that little is much in the hands of God And that only Christ can satisfy our empty, restless hearts. Admitting spiritual poverty opens the door to the riches of God's kingdom. I think that's what Jesus was teaching to the multitudes when he proclaimed, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours, for yours is The kingdom of heaven. One of the wonderful things to learn by reading God's word is that he, God, takes great pleasure. He finds his pleasure in continually bestowing grace upon unworthy sinners. He likes to do that. He loves to do that. He finds his pleasure in pouring out his grace and his mercy and his goodness upon us. In other words he is committed he is committed to provide his grace when we are willing to admit our weakness our need and our insufficiency Jesus promised in 2 Corinthians chapter 12:9 to the apostle Paul these words my grace is sufficient for you For my power is made perfect or complete in weakness. He said when he learned that principle, that biblical truth, he began to realize that he had the riches of heaven here. And we are also given the promise of God's provision in our need in Philippians 4.19. And my God shall supply all your need according to or coming out of his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The Bible contains many examples of God's sufficiency in human insufficiency. And in those moments of need, those moments of emptiness, God has been faithful to provide exactly what is needed. Let me give you a few examples. One righteous prophet prayed and the rain stopped for three and a half years. He prayed again and clouds came and they gave forth rain so that there would be fruit upon the land. One young boy prayed before he put a small stone in a slingshot and he killed the giant. 300 outnumbered Israeli soldiers destroyed a mighty invading uh, army that is described in the book of Judges as more numerous than a plague than a plague of locusts. Imagine that. And Jesus fed a multitude of 5,000 with only five loaves of bread and two small fishes. And today, this same Jesus is able to make much out of little and multiply what we have to supply our greatest needs and to be of service to many others. A small faith even, even a small faith in a big God can accomplish much. And that's the main point of our story in 2 Kings. So I want to investigate this story with you to see what we can learn. How we can see how God is all sufficient in our insufficiency. It's a story of God's provision in a woman's hour of her greatest need. Once There was a prophet by the name of Elisha. He was God's chosen servant after the prophet Elijah was taken up into heaven. And he was mightily used uh, to manifest God's power and grace in human weakness. And perhaps the most common and needy people mentioned in the Bible were widows and orphans. And such a portrait is given to us in Second Kings. One day after Elisha had returned from battle with the Moabites, he reentered a colony of prophets where he had once resided, where he was probably the, the principal, the uh, presiding prophet. There was, as he approached, a certain woman, a woman that had certain needs, and was known to God. This woman came to Elisha with empty cupboards and broken heart. And that's where we pick up our story in Second Kings chapter 4. Let's read it together. I hope you have your Bibles and you can follow along as we read. 2 Kings, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Now, the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, well, What shall I do for you? Tell me What have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar, a jar of oil. Well, then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. And so she did. Then go in and shut the doors behind you and your servants and pour into all these vessels. And one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. And when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go. Go sell the oil and pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on the rest. I hope you can see in this story certainly the power of the prophet, but more importantly, the compassion and the adequacy of God to meet the needs Of a woman who had empty hands and a broken heart. So let's take apart our text together to see what we can learn that is applicable to us here even this morning. The first truth is this. God begins his best work in broken hearts and empty hands. We learn about the widow's crisis... And we learn that this was known to God. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. And his love is always focused upon his people, especially in their time of need. How many of you believe that is true? (laughs) That is where the crisis comes is in our time of need, does he actually know what I'm going through? And does he actually care? Well, he knew and he cared. Now, this woman was no exception. God knew her need. Her provider and her protector had died. Her husband was a former... Prophet under Elijah's ministry and probably under Elisha's as well. She reminded Elisha that her husband had been one of his faithful servants who feared the Lord, who revered him, who reverenced him, who honored him, who glorified him, and respected him. She reminded him that her husband had been faithful. Faithful to the calling he had. Her departed husband had feared offending God more than offending others. And these were difficult days in which this woman lived for all God's true prophets. There were other false prophets who were very popular with the people. And they greatly prospered at that time. They prospered because they told the people what they wanted to hear, not what they needed to hear. These false prophets were people who were acceptable, but the true prophets were rejected. Faithful prophets suffered. They suffered at the hands of wicked men and religious men and women. Sadly, however, faithful prophets suffered, and yet God, he saw, and he knew, and he provided. Many of these prophets and their families were unmercifully persecuted, while still others were killed by idolatrous kings and unscrupulous religious leaders. It was a difficult day to be a believer of God. And this widow was just waiting, just waiting for the creditors to come and take away her sons. All that she really possessed at that time were these two sons. They would take them and take them into slavery, maybe never to see them again. There were no social services to help people like her in their time of need. Instead, it was expected that the families of the bereaved or those in need would take care of them. So apparently, this widow was all alone. She had no kinsman redeemer or a relative to provide for her and her two boys. The law at that time did permit a creditor to take a debtor so that uh, he could work off his debt. And debtors became abused and enslaved servants. With little chance to pay off their debt. Until the year of Jubilee came. That would be 49 years later. But the creditors were prohibited by the law from buying and selling the debtors as slaves. The law, however, this law, however, fell into abuse by harsh creditors. It didn't help that God's prophets were at the bottom of the food chain. When kings like Ahab and Jehoram sat on their thrones, they provided no support for God's prophets. <clears throat> Therefore, this woman and her family, they lived on the rugged edge of poverty. And it is likely that this widow's husband worked on borrowed land to support his family. That any crop failure or economic downturn meant financial disaster. They were dependent upon God's provision for them. Let me give to you what I suggest is a rabbinic Tradition about this widow, uh, about her husband who died, who was a prophet. Jewish rabbinic tradition, I think, can help us here, but I can't find it in the text. But it does answer a lot of questions for us. First Kings 18 records the faith and bravery of a man by the name of Obadiah. And he too was known as a man who feared the Lord, just as this man is described. He was the head servant of the notorious King Ahab. And when the king's wife Jezebel began massacring the prophets, Obadiah, in defiance of the queen, hid 100 prophets, faithful prophets, in the caves to save them from certain deaths. He fed them bread and water, which he borrowed from the king's storehouse. Hebrew scholars suggest Obadiah was this woman's husband. When King Ahab died, his son Jehoram became this man's creditor. And it is said that Obadiah then joined the sons of the prophets under the authority of Elisha. That would fit our story. This left him with no way to work off his debt to the king before he died. His widow and sons therefore became destitute and insolvent. So if this rabbinic tradition or word is true, it helps explain the husband's connection to Elisha and his reputation as a man who feared God, have you ever thought what you would want on your tombstone to be your legacy? I don't know how many of you know this, but I have a tombstone. It has my first wife's name, date of birth, date of death. It also has my name. It has my birth date, a little cross, and then it's blank. And when I go there, I don't mind telling you, it puts into perspective my life. All that separates me from, from what's ahead is the cross. But that has given me great hope. And it gives me reason for hope even today. That the Lord is good. And he provides in every way. For me, he has done so in a miraculous, wonderful way. This woman had no other recourse, all she had left was brokenness and bankruptcy. Her hands and her stomach were empty. Elisha was a man of God, and her husband had worked with him as his servant. And she was hopeful he would cry out to the Lord on her behalf. And the widow's cry was heard not just by Elisha, but also by God. She was like so many others. God has chosen to be his own, they are the poor the abased, the foolish, the weak, and yet they are invaluable in His sight. Um, little sidebar, if you don't mind. Um, the Lord's given me this incredible privilege in these days of my life to not only have a ministry here with you, but I have in other parts of the world. And I would like to, to affirm for you that God is on schedule What he is determined to do, he is doing. And he is saving a people for himself that I had never seen before. Oh, I've seen slides. I've seen different things. But to go firsthand. And here's what I can tell you. He's saving people today. The church looks different. People of color. People who are living in adverse circumstances I go to China this week I'll be with brothers and sisters there he's saving a people for himself that enjoy many of the things we do so I would say this that the kingdom of God is spreading and growing and he's doing it by saving the poor and the persecuted his work goes on God is truly at work today the Bible tells us that widows and orphans the poor the rejected are special objects of God's providential care Psalm 68 5 it says that the Lord is as a father of the fatherless a defender of widows that would include this woman Psalm 146, 8 through 9, affirms his love and care of widows. The Lord opens the eyes of of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the stranger. He relieves the fatherless and widow. But the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. In other words, as James says, God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of his kingdom. So maybe the poor are not really poor. Perhaps those who are poor are spiritually rich. Psalm 146, 8 through 9 really tells us of his love for the widow the rejected. And the widow was an empty vessel. She was as an heir of God's grace. Elisha responded by asking the Lord in prayer, What shall I do? Even he had few ser- uh, resources of his own. He was under the same situation that the other uh, prophets had. And sometimes the only thing, and maybe the best thing we can do for others who are in great need, even in poverty, is to begin with prayer don't minimize the power of prayer and then he asked the widow what do you have? and Elisha asked the same question Jesus asked when he asked his disciples when they looked at a hungry multitude that was pressing in upon them well what do you have guys? what do you want to do? The disciples could only find five loaves and two fishes. They got that by rifling through a little boy's lunch. And one of the disciples responded, What What are these among so many? And the rest of the story is history. Little is much. In the hands of God. Not long ago, I was uh, asked to expand my ministry in Haiti. And I was asked to expand it to include more pastors. And I was delighted with that opportunity. But to increase it meant there would be increased cost. So, I didn't make a promise to the people that I would expand it. And I didn't tell anyone except the Lord about this. Lord, if this is of you, would you please reveal it to me? Whether or not we should expand the ministry. It's going to take more resources. Resources are um, small. I came home. A man that I had known a number of years ago um, read one of my newsletters. And he said, Don, I got to talk with you. He said, uh, can we meet for lunch? He said, I want to know about your ministry, know more about what you're doing. So I said, sure. So I met him for lunch that week. And uh, when he walked up to me, he said, hey, PD, which is Pastor Don, if you haven't figured that one out yet. Hey, PD, good to see you. And he put something in my pocket. Um... Didn't say what it was. We had lunch. Came back out. Got in the car and I go, oh, wait a minute. Didn't even look to see what this was. Now, the estimated need for that ministry was $500. I had not told anyone what I needed. Took out the check. Opened it up. And how much money do you think it was? How much? It was 100 No, there was $500. <laughs> oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> when I got that check, I thought, oh my. Lord, you want us to expand, right? I take it as a sign, and I did. And The Lord has blessed that. Now, why do I tell you that? As if to illustrate that only pastors are blessed? No. I use this as an example that the Lord knows what our needs are, and he cares. And he'll provide exactly what you need to do what he called you to do. Do you believe that's true? He is just as informed of your needs as he was of mine. The widow's description of herself, it speaks volumes about her. We don't know a lot, but what we do is pretty impressive. She answered Elisha by referring to herself as your maid servant. She had served with her husband under Elisha's ministry. After her years of sacrifice and hard work, She was under the ministry of her husband and Elisha. And she was actually under this ministry. And because of that, she was in a time of great need. If you don't mind, I have another sidebar to just make some points with you. I would like to emphasize something that I think is probably most obvious to you here at Reverence. But I do want to make a point. This is Pastor Appreciation Month. And uh, I'd like to say I'm one of those who appreciate the pastors and elders of your church. But rarely do we talk about the pastor's wife. Pastor Appreciation. It really should be renamed, Pastor and His Wife Appreciation Month. You have incredible pastors here, but their wives are equally, if not sometimes greater, (laughs) than the men that pastor you. Kevin and Tasha, Matt and Angela, Jeff and Angela, Sandy and Midge. Doctor Jim, Doctor Beverly, Hendricks. Jim and Rebecca. Bill and Fay Acton. That's a team. And I just want to reemphasize that, for this woman, she was the maid servant of the Lord she was just as much a servant of God as was her husband. Yes, you could say, well, she took care of the children, she washed his clothes, got the meals together, and he was studying God's word. But in the eyes of God, the helpmate is recognized as also a servant of God. Of equal importance in the eyes of God. And sometimes we need to remember how important they are in the life of the pastor and the life of this church. I could mention my own wife this morning. But she's not in here. She's out teaching in Sunday school. There are other pastors' wives who are busy serving the church. But our focus oftentimes goes to the main man, to the pastor-elder. So pastors, wives, thank you. Thank you for what you do here at the church, how you make possible our lives and our ministries. All that this woman had to offer the Lord was her emptiness, and even her brokenness. She had nothing in the house but a small jar, little vessel or vase of oil. Now, this is the epitome of poverty. This jar was like a flask of oil, often used for anointing the dead. The irony is that the little oil that she had would be necessary to anoint herself and her sons if they died of starvation. So, this story reminds us of another widow whose faith impressed Jesus in Luke 21. Let me read it to you quickly. And he looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a poor widow putting in two mites, like two cents. So he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow <clears throat> has put in more than all, or all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she, out of her poverty, put in all. The livelihood that she had. Greatness in the kingdom of God is not defined by how much we have in our hand, but by empty hands and empty hearts. Both of these widows gave all that they had to the Lord. And it is important to pause in our text to drive home some more important spiritual truths. We do not come to God to give. If you came this morning to give, well, by the way, I did give something in the offering. But if you came to give to God, perhaps you do not understand grace. We came to receive. God needs absolutely nothing from us. He is self-sufficient in every way. So why then does he love us? Well, we cannot bring him our good works to find favor with him. No period of time could ever pay off the debt of our sin. His delight is to give and bestow his mercy and grace upon those who come with empty hands. He only requires that we come with empty hands and a broken, contrite heart. This is the precondition for the blessings of God. Not the fullness that we bring to Him, but the emptiness of Him. When we recognize and admit our emptiness, our weakness, our insufficiency, then we begin to realize how much we need to rely upon the Lord. So some of the weakness you may be feeling right now in your life are placed there by God, to be used by God to show His faithfulness, His power, and to show how badly we need to rely upon Him. In weakness, we discover the strength of the Spirit. This widow is profoundly qualified to receive the blessings of God. Many people are left depressed and discouraged when the Lord has to pry out of our sweaty hands all the hoarded resources that we've gained from the world. And they are keeping us from trusting the Lord. A broken heart and empty hands is the place God begins to do His greatest work. If you were here this morning with empty hands and a broken heart, God is here. You are in a place where he's now ready to do his work. The second truth is that God pours out his blessings into empty vessels, clay jars, if you would. The widow was instructed by Elisha to go borrow as many empty jars as she could find. And her faith in God's word would be measured by how many vessels she would bring back. How many neighbors would she go to? Should she, did she have enough faith to go just on both sides of, uh, of her little tent, maybe? Well, we'll see. Then she was told to shut the doors of her house, <clears throat> and the closed doors were necessary For a number of reasons. You know why the Lord, I believe, asked her to shut the doors through the prophet? Is to keep religious imposters from observing God's means of blessing her. (laughs) They would not have understood the grace of God. They would have tried to mimic the work of God. That is why most of God's greatest work is done behind closed doors. One day Jesus came to the home of a grieving family. He closed the doors behind him. And then entered the room of a little girl lying dead on her bed. He prayed and he raised her up from the dead. Lord Jesus, shut the doors. Our generation demands miracles. Instantaneous success and prosperity. We want to see God's work under spotlights, crescendoing music and television cameras. In our story, God wanted to do his work in a very personal, intimate way in the life of a widow. The widow's faith was going to be tested as she poured out all her oil into empty vessels. Third truth is that God takes what little we have To become much for his glory. The widow's obedience to Elisha revealed her faith in God. She acted by faith in the prophet's words. Her sons went out to borrow empty jars from the neighbors. And when they came back with many empty vessels, she shut the doors behind her as was commanded. And then she began pouring the oil from her small little vessel into empty jars. Can you imagine what was going on in her mind? What if I pour out this little that I have and I lose that? How, how could that little take care of my need for my sons to keep them from slavery? I might even losing whatever little oil I have. And what she witnessed through faith and obedience was the abundance of God's grace overflowing into vessels that were once empty. Even as the Lord multiplied the widow's oil, so he delights in abundantly giving to us. Do you ever think about the pleasures of God? We always talk about our pleasures. But have you ever thought about God's pleasure? What brings him most joy? I can tell you one of them is, is to abundantly pour upon us lavishly His grace. He loves doing it. And He loves to provide for His kids. Oil is often used as a symbol in the Bible of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is the greatest gift we can receive. God loves to give to His kids. In Luke eleven thirteen, 13, we see the goodness of the Father says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for Him? Do you ever find yourself in a place of need and you're not quite sure what to pray for? Well, I could tell you what you can pray for and you will receive. Pray for the Holy Spirit. The Father will not deny us the ministry and the power, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. He knows what's best. He gives what's needed. And every time this widow poured out the oil, more kept flowing. The blessings of God come when our hearts are broken, her hands are empty. They are ready to receive God's grace. He will not fill vessels that are full of themselves. We talk about emptying ourselves. Once all the widow's vessels were filled, the oil stopped flowing. I'll give to you again another example from my life, and then we will wind it up. Um, I want to come out front and tell you that over the years I have I. Can, The Lord has been extremely faithful to me. He has provided anything and everything that I've needed. Not always everything I wanted. But everything I needed. I was committed to go to school. Because I believe I was called to be a pastor. I married a woman who believed as I did. That not just her but we were both called to ministry. So I enrolled in in a school so I could finish up my work and then go to seminary. And my wife at the time had no job. She was a school teacher. So we had, you know, recently married, had no job, and I enrolled in school. That went on for like a month or so, and guess what? The cupboards were bare. <laughs> the little jar of oil <laughs> was almost gone. And I, uh, I asked my, my wife, I said, what are we going to do? She said, God will provide. And I hate to admit it, I, I thought, yeah, that sounds real good. But Willie? She was always that way. Anyway... I went out to the uh, mailbox one day, kind of going, I don't know what to do. I want to go to school, finish up, so I can go to seminary, become a missionary or a pastor. So how, how, what do I do? So I went out to the mailbox. I got an envelope. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever gotten one of those. It had my name on the address, but no return. So I opened up the letter. Thought it had to be a bill or something, you know? I opened it up. There was nothing on the piece of paper except one crisp, clean, hundred-dollar bill. I took it out like this. It's like, oh, my goodness. This has the fingerprints of God on it. (laughs) That's how I saw it. I hadn't told family or anyone that we had this need. I took the dollar bill I went into our bedroom my wife was gone I laid it on the bed like that and go Lord I see that as a provision from you you care thank you it's like this is such a special bill that I'm almost afraid to to put it in the bank I'd like to have one that I knew just came from you so I got down on the floor on my knees and I put my hands on the on the bill and I thank God for his gift and I got up and I thought I know what I gotta do I gotta figure out who gave me that money so I called up the pastor of our church I go hey pastor guess what happened somebody gave me a hundred dollar bill that we really needed but could you tell do you have any idea who gave this to me I want to find out who they are so I can thank them My pastor was very wise. He goes, Pastor Don, well, I wasn't pastor then. Don, don't you know that God knew exactly what you wanted, what you needed? I said, yeah. He said, there's no name on there? No. Have you ever thought of the possibility that those people don't want to know? They want you to see that it's a gift from God, not them. I was so humbled by that. I I don't to this day know who gave me that money. It doesn't make any difference. It had the fingerprints of God on it for me. Provided exactly what we needed. I tell you that story again from my own life. Just to affirm to you who are here this morning. God cares. I mean he really cares intimately about each of us. He intimately knows every situation. He knows your need. He knows your desires. He knows your future. And he will provide. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in heaven by Christ Jesus. And he met that woman's need that day. Little in the hands of God proved to be much more than the woman even expected. When all the vessels were filled, it just stopped. But the Lord had provided as he had provided the lunches for the people. Not only enough to take care of the 5,000 plus children and wives. But there was leftover. Did you know that? God likes leftovers. Leftovers. To remind us that he abundantly gives beyond what you can ask or even think. And the same for her. She had more than enough to pay off the debtor. And to be able to live for herself and her sons. That's our God. That's what he's like. I love this God. I love this God because he first loved me. I love this God because he knows me intimately and still loves me. I love this God because he knows what's best. I love this God because he has things ahead for us that are greater than anything we could ever imagine. I love this God because he gave his son to die in my place. Like the widow in our story, we must cry out to the Lord. Lord. We must admit that our lives are becoming empty without him. We are as spiritually bankrupt as is our national treasury. We must confess any rebelliousness and selfishness. All this must begin with us, it begins with the church. We desperately need faithful prophets in our day who will say what people don't want to hear but needs to be said. We need people in the church praying and serving. We need people in the church who give to the needs of others as a means of God's giving to us. We need a revival today we really do you know what a revival means is a return to sound doctrine return to sound bible believing faith that's passionate for the truth that is passionate for the glory of god that loves each other as a witness to the world <clears throat> the lord filled this widow's life with blessing, spiritual blessing as well as physical blessing. And may the Lord hear our cry this morning, our cry for the Holy Spirit to come fill us. There are two kingdoms. One is temporal and shakeable. The other is eternal and unshakable. Which one do you belong to? Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you this morning recognizing that we are empty vessels, that we have empty hands as we exalt you We have empty hands because we need to have you fill us with your spirit. We thank you that you call us the children of God. That we have an inheritance in Christ, with Christ. That he is the treasure of heaven. He is the treasure of our life. For those who have come here this morning who are in deep need. I don't know what it is, but you do. May they call upon you. To come fill them with hope. Fill them with the power and the ministry of your spirit. Comfort them. Provide for them. Bless them. Father, may you do a work in our lives, in this church, in churches across our country. That we might see a return to you. That can only come when we admit, not just us, but even a nation. That we are becoming very, very empty. And our hands are very full. And we need to empty them. That we may receive the fullness of your grace and mercy. To bring life again to our people. Thank you for the morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for being the kind of God that you are. Bless your people today we pray in Jesus name. For his glory, both now and forevermore, we pray these things. Amen.